Let's pray. Father, we thank you first of all for our friends Rob and Christy and the friends that they have brought with them to join us this morning and the work that they're doing. Um, we ask that you would continue to pour out your favor on their ministry. Um, Lord, we pray that in their work to fill hungry stomachs, that you would open up doors for them to fill hungry souls with the hope that we have in your son Jesus. Um, we pray that their ministry would be effective, not only in meeting material needs, the way your word encourages your people to do, but that their ministry would also be effective in meeting spiritual needs that people have. So would you continue to provide for them, give them courage to proclaim the good news of Jesus, um, give them favor uh, with the leadership up there uh, at the reservation, that they might continue to be able to distribute food and build relationships with people so that they can share the love that Christ has for them. Bless them in that endeavor. We thank you um, that you are a God who is sovereign over all things. Father, just noticing the clouds in the sky and comprehending that they are the effect of a hurricane taking place 400 miles away causes my thoughts to go even loftier to the God who is over all of these things. And we pray for those people that are in the line of that hurricane. We pray for their safety and protection. But we are just blown away by the God who can say to the winds, go, and who can also say to the winds, stop, and they obey. And Lord, I pray that as we look at your word this morning, um, that our hearts would be encouraged more to trust you and love you and seek you. And I thank you for this time that we have to gather together. And it's in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. So I want to remind you as we begin this morning that way back when we were in chapter 1 of First Peter, that one of the things that we talked about is a theme that makes its way through Peter's letter. One of Peter's purposes in writing is to encourage the church as it goes through different seasons of persecution and suffering and trials. He wants to remind them to remain steadfast and to seek Jesus no matter what might be taking place around them, no matter how difficult things might get. And I say that just to set you up because we're going to pick that theme up again today as we read here in 1 Peter chapter 4. Read with me verses 12 through 16. 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So in verse 12, Peter tells us not to be surprised at the fiery trial that comes upon us to test us as though something strange were happening to us. 
And the first thing that we need to understand here is an unfortunate truth that I think I tell you rather straightforwardly quite often, so maybe this will sound familiar. Sometimes life just sucks, doesn't it? Sometimes life is awful. The reason why Peter can tell us not to be surprised as if something strange were happening to us is because life is full of fiery trials. I mean, for every person in this room that I know, even a tidbit of your story, I know that it includes some kinds of trials. And I would say this is especially the case for those of us who seek to follow Jesus faithfully. I mean, isn't it obvious that sin has disfigured the world that we live in? It is marred and broken. Despair and evil are a constant part of the life that we live, especially for us as Christians who hope for something better and don't believe that all of this is just one big cosmic accident that is meaningless. And nobody gets to escape this. And I would remind you that you're not the only one to experience it. I'm sure your life has been difficult and had trials. And if you look around this room, you're surrounded by other people who have had similar experiences. Tragedy and hardship and pain and trials are just what it means to be human. Sometimes life just sucks. And it shouldn't surprise us, but it often does, right? When the storm comes and you're like, didn't see that coming. And I don't want to discourage anyone by saying this. I just want us to be honest about the reality of being human in a fallen world. Sin has cast this gloomy blight over everything. God made Adam and Eve to dwell in paradise. And they decided to move out into the swamp which is where you and I now live. And so as a result, your life and my life has fiery trials. And you know, I think one of the reasons why statistically more people are depressed today than you know, ever before in history as far as we know is because our culture more than any other or our period in history more than any other has sort of come to believe this crazy idea that life should be by default happy and comfortable and easy. And then when it's not that, which it's mostly not that, what do we feel? We feel despair. We feel as if things have gone wrong. Like we think the baseline for human experience should be ease and comfort and happiness. But the truth is that the baseline for human experience is actually hardship and difficulty, and suffering, and struggle. And if you have bought a lie that life is always supposed to be rainbows, and butterflies, and you know, sunshine, and happiness, and then you experience just wave after wave of storm, and hardship, and difficulty, and pain, then of course you're going to feel sadness and despair, because you're like, why are my expectations so far from reality? And so here's a Sunday morning dose of realism for you. As if you weren't already aware, life is really hard. It is really, really hard. And that's why I think so many people are depressed and full of despair. 
because life is hard and for some reason they've come to think it shouldn't be hard. And I can say for me personally, in, in wrestling with uh, some seasons of depression in my own life, one of the things that has come to be helpful is coming to understand that I idealistically thought, you know, particularly in my early 20s, that life was going to be awesome. And then it wasn't, and I felt despondent, and I felt despair. And part of my conquering depression has been to kind of just embrace the fact that, like Peter says, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised at fiery trials and hardship. This is just the world we live in. Reorienting my thinking to understand that life is difficult has allowed me to just grow better at when the storm comes, kind of shrugging my shoulders and be like, well, I guess this is just life then, right? So keep on keeping on. And I've learned the truth that hardships and struggles are a normal part of the human experience. But you know what else I've learned? I've learned that God is with me through that. I've learned that God loves me through that. And actually, I've learned something even greater. I have come to understand that God in his providential wisdom has brought these things into my life because he loves me and because he is committed to working these things for my good over the course of my life. Here's a hard truth for you. God uses the anvil of our trials to pound our hard hearts into submission to him. And so Peter says, don't be surprised at the fiery trials. As if something strange were happening to you. Because trials are inevitable and trials are the tool that God uses to shape us into the image of Jesus Christ. We live in Maricopa and so just like when you see in the south here that sort of brownish, grayish mess begin to make its way up the horizon, you know it's inevitable that the dust storm is coming. So to be human is to anticipate that the trials will come. And these trials are nothing strange. They're nothing out of the ordinary. They're normal. And so welcome to a sinful world. God loves you fiercely, and yet still life is often crappy. Embrace it. So what I want to do for the rest of our time together is look at four different kinds of trials and how they test us. And... Um, and then I'm going to talk about how we should respond to those and what kind of hope and expectation we have in the midst of them. And since Peter is primarily talking about the trial of persecution, I'm going to deviate away from this text a little bit. I'm going to bring in some other scriptures because I want to just widen the scope of what we're talking about. But keep in mind, these are all trials of hardship, even though they're different kinds of trials. And I want you to remember maybe most of all that they are not by accident or chance. They are providentially brought by God to you in your life so that you may be more like Jesus, so that you may trust God more, so that you might love him more. 
So the first trial that comes upon us to test us is the trial that comes from living in a world that hates us as Christians. And we in America have really gotten away with living in a world that doesn't hate us for the last couple hundred years. Things are shifting, and maybe you feel that. And I would say this is a trial that will test our courage. Are we willing as believers to stand for Jesus even if that means that as a result we will be abused and mistreated by the world around us that hates the things of God? More than anything, that's what Peter is talking about in these verses here, in verses 12 through 16. To stand for righteousness and truth in a world that loves deceit and evil is going to require you to be a person of great courage. So I'm going to put two scriptures up on the screen that address this. Do we have my first slide? You guys formatted that awesome. I love you. It says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. This is Jesus. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world and I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days, you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. So the first scripture here is from uh, John's gospel. This is Jesus. And he tells us quite plainly, guys, the world hated me. And I'm the leader. I'm the boss. And so if you follow me, just expect it's going to hate you. Hatred is what causes violence and alienation and exclusion, cruelty and malice. And the world hates you. The world hates you as a Christian and a follower of Jesus. That's why possibly in the years to come, some of you might lose your job simply because of a silly thing like personal pronouns. It's why some of you might have to endure persecution because of a more serious issue like you believe in the sanctity of life from the moment of conception. The evil world that we live in hates the way of Jesus. And if you are committed to the way of Jesus, it's going to hate you. It's going to be a fiery trial that you have to walk through. And the second scripture still here on the screen comes from Revelation. It's a message to the church. Again, Jesus is speaking, warning them that if they're going to be faithful, they will be tested and they will suffer prison and tribulation because they love Christ. It actually suggests that for them, the end result might be death, martyrdom. Friends, I hope that none of us in this room have to undergo that kind of fiery trial that you would literally be looking at execution because of your faithfulness to Jesus. But I would still ask you, do you have in your heart the courage of your convictions that you would undergo a trial like imprisonment or possibly death to say that you won't abandon Jesus? The second kind of trial God might give to us is what I would call the trial of conflict. And this is a trial that I think is going to test our humility and our commitment to the word of God. What I'm talking about here is just the relational conflict that comes into our lives. And I would say especially the relational conflict that comes into the church, the conflict that appears from time to time between believers. 
See, we know conflict in the world is going to arise because the world hates you. I remember when I was working at my former employer, I had uh, an employee that I just could never get along with. And uh, I just expected her to hate me because she was an immoral person and I was trying to not be an immoral person. So we expect that, okay? But there's a conflict that arises among Christians, conflict in the church. Our church over the years has had some divisions over various conflicts, conflicts in marriage, conflicts between friends that arise. And all of these conflicts, God actually brings into our lives in order to test us to see whether we are humble like he is humble and whether we are committed to the teaching of his word that tells us what wisdom and faithfulness really look like and what it means to love one another. So take a look at these passages of scripture. This is our second slide. It says, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you might be recognized. And I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and have found them to be false. So this top scripture here is from 1 Corinthians, and I find this to be an amazing verse. Think about it. Paul says, there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you might be tested or recognized, rather. I think what Paul is saying here is that conflicts in the church are brought into the body in God's providence in order to expose true believers so that we might recognize them against those among us who are false in their profession of faith. It is a test that God places upon the church to see those who are genuine in their humility and their love, in contrast to those who prove themselves to be worldly and full of strife and division and hard-heartedness. So I'm going to say this, and I actually mean it. Praise God for conflict in the church. Because it shows who really loves him and who really obeys him. And the second passage here from Revelation furthers my claim because it says that those who were evil in the body, what happened to them? They were exposed. So look, I don't know anybody who actually likes conflict. I mean, I do not like conflict. It's like, of course, one of the least favorite things that I might spend my time working through. But God sometimes brings conflict into the church in order to test us. To see whether we will fight for our own preferences in defense of our own egos. Or whether we will fight for what is right. Whether we will humbly submit to God and do what he wills. Sometimes conflict comes to see whether we're going to be committed to our own way. Or whether we are truly committed to his way. And thank God, again, thank God for this kind of conflict among the body of Christ because it purifies the church and it exposes the evil deeds of darkness. And that's a good thing for the body of Christ. We certainly don't ask for it. I'm not asking for it. But we can give God thanks that he's committed to the church in this way. 
The third trial that comes upon us to test us is the trial of temptation. And this is where we learn to say no to sin. I'm guessing this is one that you are intimately familiar with, just as I am intimately familiar with it. If we think about Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one that we follow, we think about his life. He was tested by God in this way. And he was found faithful by God because he refused to yield to the temptation that came upon him. And he chose instead to do the will of God. So Jesus has gone before us in this way. And I would call this test a test of our love. The question here is whether we love sin or whether we love God. In this test, we're learning to deny the desires of our flesh and we're learning to obey what God has commanded because we love him more than what our flesh loves. Take a look at these two passages of Scripture. This is our third slide. It says, For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when, they, or when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives for, or brings forth death. So the top passage here from 1 John reminds us um, that our love for God is tested and it's proven through our obedience. If we say we love God, but we don't obey him, then we lie and we fail the test. And we're also reminded here that the way of Jesus is a life-giving way. It's a good way. It's not a burden. Yes, it's difficult. It is sometimes a struggle. But following Jesus leads to peace and life and not death and suffering. And the second passage explains for us that temptation is a test. You understand this, right? Not that God himself is tempting us, but that our sinful desire tempts us. And the test is whether we love God more than we love the sin. And we prove our love for God by doing his commands instead of doing what sin is enticing us to do. And so temptation is a test. It's a trial. It's a hardship. But God uses it for our good because he loves us. That's what he's relentlessly committed to is our good. And he uses it to see if we truly believe in our hearts that Jesus is worth more than anything else. Don't you want to pass that test? So let's strive to pass that test to prove that the spirit of God and the spirit of glory rests upon us. The final test that comes uh, to test us is the trial that we, we go through when we fall into temptation and sin, right? Because if you have any experience wrestling with temptation, you know that uh, at least every once in a while, you don't pass that test. I don't think I'm the only one with that experience. If we fail the prior trial, the test of fighting our sin, the test of resisting temptation 
Praise God, my friends, all is not lost. You are not abandoned or rejected. You have not gone too far to be redeemed. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says that we have the scriptures given to us so that we may not sin. But, it goes on to say, if we do sin, we have an advocate. Jesus is on our team. And he makes a way for us to still be with God. So there's another trial that God will bring us through. It is the test of our willingness to repent and return back to God when we have failed. Rather than go deeper down this path of sin and rebellion against God, further into hard-heartedness, brothers and sisters, when our sinful desires get the best of us and we give in to temptation, when we're defeated and conquered, we must immediately turn back to God and repent with contrite hearts. Take a look at these two scriptures. The first says, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. That's Jesus in Revelation. And today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. In this first verse that you're looking at here, Jesus is speaking to the church in Revelation, and he says that it's because he loves us that he disciplines us. So that his discipline might lead us to repentance rather than into destruction. And the second passage here tells us that God is calling us to turn away from evil. And in response to that, we dare not harden our hearts. We dare not give ourselves over to the deceit of sin when God's voice calls. There is yet hope for us when we fail the test of temptation. That further test is that we would repent and turn back right away to renew our minds and seek forgiveness and turn to righteousness and seek the face of Jesus all the way to the very end. And that verse in Hebrews says, you know, exhort one another. This is my exhortation for you. The shame and the grief and the brokenness that comes with sin is not for you to wallow in or it's not for you to use as a reason to just go deeper down that path. No, that shame, that sorrow, that brokenness is meant to launch you back into the gracious arms of Jesus who is willing to forgive you and accept your repentance and renew your mind to follow him in obedience. So these are the four trials that we might walk through. And I actually turned this into a little like document and then after I printed it off, I was like, I'm not going to bring that. So I have it. If you're like, uh, I would like to put that in my Bible and if we went through it too fast, you can email me and I will email it to you. But each of these trials in their different way, God uses as a tool to shape us and refine us 
the hammer and the anvil to conform us to Christ. Again, I think in our verses from 1 Peter, he mostly has in mind the trial that comes from the world despising us. But I want to think a little bit, uh, I wanted to think a little bit more broadly about what these trials might look like because these are all part of the Christian life, right? Now, the question is, how should we respond to the trials and the suffering? Well, we should moan and we should complain about it, right? We should collapse in despair and we should give up. We should conclude, certainly, that God has abandoned us and he's punishing us. That's not what Peter says. Look at the verses again. Verse 12, he says we shouldn't be surprised, first of all. Be prepared. Being prepared is essential. That's why we're talking about it right now. Because if you're not in a trial now, at some point you will be. And so I am telling you, be prepared. Understand, life is hard. Your heart will go through trials. Remain steadfast. Cling to Jesus. Don't give up hope. Then in verse 13, he says, rejoice. Man, can you, can you actually imagine this? Can you imagine going through a trial and you call me up and you say, you know, Grady, I could really use some pastoral counseling and care right now. And I sit down with you in my office and I say, you know what, you should really rejoice right now. Like, wouldn't you be tempted to get up and be like, that's, that's spiritual abuse and like, I'm out of here. It's right here in verse 13. And, you know, I certainly want to be sympathetic and kind and understanding to those who are going through difficult things. But don't we still have reason to rejoice even in the trials and the difficulty? Like Christ died for you. God loves you. There is hope. You can make it through this because in Christ Jesus, you are more than a conqueror. And so you do have reason to rejoice. You know, Hebrews tells us that Jesus went to the cross for the joy that was set before him. Do you see the cross of your suffering as joy? We'll get to why we can rejoice more in a couple of minutes. Peter also tells us in verse 13 that I think we should respond with courage, right? He doesn't use the word, but he, he reminds us of Jesus. And how did Jesus deal with his suffering, his trials? In essence, Peter's saying here, look to Jesus who bore his suffering with courage and conviction. Knowing the cross was coming, he kept putting one foot in front of the other. Stand firm in your faith and trust this Jesus who knows what it's like to suffer. The tides of sorrow and suffering, they're going to come and they're going to threaten to drag you out into that vast ocean of darkness and despair. But stand firm with courage. Jesus Christ is victorious and you belong to him. He holds you. Then he tells us in verse 14, we're blessed in our suffering. Again, I would ask you, do you believe that? That your suffering is a blessing? 
And we're blessed because we are one with Christ, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon us. And Peter doesn't say, you will be blessed at the end of it. He doesn't say, you'll be blessed once the clouds pass. Notice what he says. We are blessed. Because even in our suffering, we are united to Jesus. His spirit rests upon us. You know, this makes me think of Genesis chapter 1 where the Bible tells us that at creation, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, working with God to bring life and order out of what was only darkness and chaos. Isn't that interesting? And if the Spirit of God rests upon us, that means that as we fight our way through the trials of this life, we can rest. Because God is bringing out of the darkness and the chaos order. I love Psalm 46.10. This is a verse you should know. It says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. It's true that suffering and trials require us to be steadfast and courageous, but we also need to rest in the power of the Spirit of God. He who created all things is certainly powerful enough to hold it together for you, isn't he? And of course, in our response to trials, verse 15 teaches us that we must not let our trials lead us further into sin, right? If you're going to suffer, don't suffer as a murderer or an evildoer. Difficulty is going to come in this life, but we shouldn't respond to that by doing evil or by excusing the evil that we might do. The suffering that a Christian experiences should always drive them further away from sin and deeper into the heart of Jesus. And then finally, we should respond to suffering by giving God praise and glory. Suffering is the tool that God uses to make us more virtuous, more righteous, more like Christ. And if that's the case, then even the suffering that we go to, we can say to God, thank you. Thank you that you have allowed me to do this, experience this, so that I might be more like your son, Jesus. And honestly, I would ask you, when was the last time you said to God in prayer, God, thank you for this hardship that you've been with me in as I've walked through it? Thank you that you would count me worthy to suffer like your son Jesus so that I might be more like him. When was the last time you prayed something like that? I will tell you that is a prayer of deep, deep Christian maturity. That is not an easy prayer. But the truth is that God is working all things for his glory and for your good because he loves you. Even the suffering. And that brings us to what we can expect from our trials and suffering. This is why we can rejoice even in suffering. I'm going to just rattle off a few things. We can rejoice because we can expect from God great reward and great blessing. God rewards those who seek him. God rewards those who are faithful to him. The crown of life is what awaits us in eternity. The blessing of God's approval who says to us, basically, I'm proud of you, well done. You stood fast. 
We get a share in Christ Jesus and a share in the love of God the Father. A piece of the inheritance to be called children of God forever. We can expect glory beyond comprehension as we are raised from this mortal life into everlasting life. Paul says it's a weight of glory that we cannot even begin to fathom. We can expect that we will one day finally and fully be like Jesus. And we can expect that we will grow in this life to be more mature and more stout-hearted, to have greater endurance and courage and faithfulness. Every trial that we walk through in this life is preparing us more for that weight of glory. And we can expect, even from God, great goodness. Goodness in the midst of the difficulty. Goodness at the end of the difficulty. God delights to honor those who honor him. So let me wrap all this together. I know you thought I was coming to an end. But no, we need to look at Jesus one more time. And think about how he faced the fiery trials. You know, the best way to survive any future trial is to resolve right now that you will not fail it. To make the decision before your mind becomes unclear and you can't think straight and you've lost sight of the lighthouse and you don't remember what hope is, make that decision now. And think about Jesus. The great trial that he went through was not even the temptation in the wilderness. It was the trial of the cross. Jesus had the benefit of knowing that the cross was coming, right? You don't have that benefit. You don't know what the trial will be or when it will come. But remember what Peter said? Don't be surprised, my friends. You know the trial is coming. You know it will come. You don't have the same clarity and future knowledge that Jesus had. But remember, life is full of hardships. Don't be surprised as if something strange was going to come upon you. And even if the beloved Son of God was made to suffer, then how much more should we be prepared to suffer? And so the example of Jesus is the example that we must follow. He chose to honor God through his suffering and his trial ahead of time. Right before he was arrested and crucified, what do we find Jesus doing? We find him in the Garden of Gethsemane, burdened with anxiety. We find him crying out before God the Father, Father, let this cup of suffering pass from me. But then what does he say? Not my will, your will be done. And if we can learn to do God's will now, before the moment of trial comes, then we will be well prepared when things get difficult. If we make the decision ahead of time, if we resolve to keep our trust and faith in God now, then it will be that much easier when the moment of testing comes. How many of our plants in our yard right now are dying because their roots have never grown deep for the moment when there isn't enough rain? 
And if we are practicing the way of Jesus now, then when the trials come, what will we be good at? Doing the will of Jesus. If we can learn to trust him when things are okay, then we will, we will be prepared to trust him when things are dark. If we simply keep on doing what our practice prepares us for, walking in obedience, then when we don't know what to do, what will we naturally do? Just what we have been doing. We must learn this confidence now so that we can be well established for the fiery trials when they come. And just as the Father loved Jesus and the Father was with him through the trials and the test, then we can be absolutely certain that Christ will be with us through the trials and the test. As Jesus says in John 14, 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. In other words, if we keep the commandments which Jesus has given us, then we can be certain that Christ will prove himself to us when we need it most. He'll clothe us in his love. He'll reveal to us his power. He'll comfort us with his mercy. He'll hold us with his kindness. And he will ultimately provide for us in his generosity. And so in sharing his sufferings through our trials and testing, then we will come to share in all that he has. Let's pray. Lord, would you give us that confidence now in this moment of clarity? And man, Lord, you, you, know, you know all of the things that are going on in our church right now. Um, we particularly think of Bobby dealing with a cancer diagnosis and the trial that is. And we pray that you would hold him fast and hold his family fast. And Lord, we know that there are others in our church going through different kinds of tests and trials. And God, I ask that they would give thanks and rejoice and hold fast and have courage and that they would keep their faith and their hope in you. And that you would bring them through these trials. So Lord, would you teach us to, to be decided in our heart of hearts. To place our desires fully towards Jesus. That whatever difficulty might come our way, we would keep pressing on towards him. In Christ's name. Amen.